Welcome back to Keeping It Independent. This is a podcast brought to you, of course, by Wiffles Hybrids, and I am Eric Wilson. I'm joined today by the Ryan Gentle. Is that, is that how we should introduce you? Like the Ohio State, the Ryan Gentle? Make sure we get that in there. I like it. <laughs> how are you doing today, Ryan? Doing a lot better after uh, getting a little rain this weekend, making things look better. Last week, big week for planning for most of the Corn Belt. I'm pretty sure everybody that was uh, wanting to go at least started doing something. I know a lot of guys finished up uh, some corn and beans. Other guys are still moving, still getting some things in. But um, it's kind of getting to that point where uh, people are finishing up and we're starting to go look at some of these fields and getting a lot of questions on emergence. I guess that's kind of the topic of this podcast today. Um, one of the questions I know you've been getting a lot in Illinois, we hear a lot about the importance of even emergence. So I guess I'll open it up to you. What's first of all, what do we consider even? Um, and when we're talking like plant to plant competition and that kind of thing. I'm Went on a lot of calls last week on that uh, April 10th through April 15th planted corn. Starting to see uh, some coming, some not coming. Uh, some guys hoed, some didn't. A lot of them were praying for rain. Um, got to see a lot of, uh, I've done some emergence flagging as well on some April 14th and 15th corn. And, you know, um, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of it strung out over probably three, four days where, more ideal you would probably like to see it come up in you know 24 to, to 48 hours uh, instead of getting out to three or four days but uh, you really have to take into account when you're talking about even emergence early in the year when we're not gathering a lot of heat units is uh, you got to take into consideration that maybe uh, one day on April 20th for example we get two or three heat units um, that could be uh, one day that first week or uh, the 10th through the 15th when we were planting, we were getting 15 or 20 a day. So I think when we, we start uh, looking at this, we need to do more of using, uh, you know, 15 to 20 GDUs instead of 24 to 48 hours. I think that would make a lot better standard um, and try and get everything up within 20 GDUs and you can maximize yield. That's a good point, right? As we're we're earlier in the season. Heat units are always harder to come by, or I shouldn't say always, but generally earlier in the planting season, heat units are harder to come by. So it's really, you know, we really need to look at this more so on how, what what is the spread of heat units for that emergence window, right? For that particular field, not necessarily, not necessarily days, because it it might take you, it might take five days to accumulate ten heat units in early April. Uh, exactly, we get nice. Yeah, war- warmer weather later later into April, uh, we can accumulate, you know, 10, 15, 20 heat units a day. So very good point. Not not to discredit. I mean, we, we'd love it if everything came up uniform, but that's the reality of the situation is that that doesn't happen even in a perfect year. There's a lot of questions on this. And I got a lot of questions. Okay, if I'm not getting everything up in 48 hours, am, am I going to lose yield? And I started to dig into uh, some research that have, has been done on this. And Emerson Nassinger at the U of I uh, actually put an article out a, a couple weeks ago on some of their past research. And uh, it was it was pretty interesting. Um, he mentioned that most often late emergers, by the time they get to V8, V10, they're not seeing any difference in uh, stock diameter or size or uh, growth stage. Um, and 
they uh, actually did a study where they damaged plants uh, to the point where they didn't produce an ear. And then they um, uh, gathered uh, yield data off the corn plant on either side of it. And then they compared that to uh, where they just completely eliminated that late emerger in between and again measured the yield on both sides and they saw no yield difference. So kind of dispels the uh, myth, I guess, that if a plant comes up after 48 hours, it's a weed. Um, it, it didn't it didn't matter. Yeah, that's a very good article. Um, I'm sure we could we should tag it in this podcast. I'm sure we will after we're done uh, for anyone that looks wants to look at that. But it, it was a uh, very telling you know, the short synopsis was, you know, uh, very little evidence, if any, out there to support kind of what you're talking about, Ryan. Um, these things that are coming up aren't necessarily late emergers, especially if you're looking at some of these things based on GDUs to emergence, you know, within a, a 10 to 20 GDU window of emergence. Um, like Ryan was saying in the article, they're, they're not finding any yield differences between the two. And I think, you know, we need to remind ourselves, especially when we get planted early like this, you're going to see more variability in that window. And it kind of gets into the conversation of, you know, there's there's multiple ways to skin a cat, right? Uh, there's multiple ways to build yield. And, and emergence is just one component of that overall yield equation for the season. There's lots of things that can happen. You know, plants can flex out. Yep. Um, you know, something I've noticed, maybe you have too, uh, Ryan, when, when we have those narrower emergence windows, uh, like last year was a good example of this. Everything came up out of the ground very quickly. Everything was very uniform. Ear size ended up being very uniform, uh, come harvest that season. Some, some guys were saying maybe not the biggest ears they've ever seen. Um, that could be part of that, right? If you have more uniform ears, more uniform plant stand, uh, there's lots of ways that you can get, yeah, consistency. There's lots of ways you can get to that final yield number and, uh, having a little bit of uneven emergence doesn't necessarily, you don't want to write the season off because of that. Right. You know, Eric, how many times you've been out later in the season and you find a perfectly healthy plant that has a small ear, um, was that due to emergence? Was it disease? Was it insect? fertilizer. Um, there's just so many factors uh, that come into play when you're talking about yield. The emergence, like you said, is just one little piece of the pie. This kind of leads into some of the replant calls. I know I've been getting them last week. Um, I anticipate that I'll probably get in a, be getting a few more this week. Um, but just kind of walking through, you know, my corn's emerging. My stand isn't where I'd like it to be right now. Uh, keep in mind, as we sit right now, we're still in the first half of May. Uh, let's talk about walking through some of those replant situations. Yep. I uh, went on several several calls last week for that uh, first, well, the 10th through the 15th planting in April and uh, got to see a little bit of everything. Uh, crusting was probably the main issue uh, we were dealing with. Um, so I I really want to put a plug in for our Wiffles replant calculator. We have uh, wiffles.com under the agronomy tab. Um, you can walk through that calculator and put in your uh, planting date, original planting date, uh, what your population is uh, right now. Then you go on and uh, put in when you think you could get it replanted, um, what your yield uh, expect, uh, expected yield is going to be, and what you, know, you think you might sell your seed for. Then you can go down and pick your uh, replant date 
uh, your real plant population, uh, your seed cost a unit and your, you know, your machinery labor gas cost a unit. And then it will, uh, kind of spit out an ROI, either red or green, which is uh, kind of cool, gives you the, the color visual there. If it's an advantage to replant or an advantage to leave your uh, current stand. And it also gives you a percent uh, yield. That's from past data through different universities we've included in, uh, worked into the calculator here. And like Eric said, we're only setting um, here May 8th. Um, and we still have a lot of, uh, yield potential, even if you'd plant corn for the first time right now. So um, in this scenario that we ran through was uh, replanting a field in April. Uh, we have a stand of 32,000. We're going to go back and replant it on May 11th at 36,000. And it's basically showing that that's kind of the break even. It's kind of a wash. Uh, we could expect 96.5% maximum yield if we left it. If we replant, it's 98.3%. Um, yield and by the time you run the the numbers with what it costs to replant it's about it's about a wash right all right so th this actually jumps back a little bit to a previous episode uh that we were talking about um you know some of those earlier planning dates might not have perfect uniform stands right previous question and previous episode but we're getting some advantage there from the early planning dates and that's that's what the university data is showing right advantage to earlier planting sometimes with even lower plant populations because you got a longer growing season more time for things to flex out take advantage of that so on and so forth um, but that is a good point if we're in some of these uh, situations where we have plant stands that aren't where we'd like them to be and we're looking uh, at a window of replant coming up we're still in you know the first half of may can be advantageous because it is early Right. Um, but you do got to keep in mind, what's it going to cost you to put that crop back in the ground? You know, you got to you got to spray it or you got to till it up. You got to do something to get rid of it. You got to get back out there in a timely fashion. Um, but that's a good point. You, you mentioned 32,000 planted in April. Uh, I'd have to come back with a plant stand of 36,000. And it's basically a wash right now. So that, that's a pretty big window of 4,000 plants. So, yep. And another thing I like to take into account if I'm making a replant decision too is, you know, what is available, you know, talk, talk to your seed salesman and, you know, you might have um, a brand new uh, great hybrid that's going to yield tremendous and you might not be able, it might be sold out. You might not be able to get that. So you kind of take that into account too of what you're going to have to replant uh, with also goes back to that original plan that you made for that field, right? You, you place that hybrid for a reason. And if, if things are close, uh, like in this situation we're talking about it and you can't get that seat again, might not be to your best advantage to, to spend your time, money, effort, however you want to look at it to go replant that for, uh, another potential 2%, right? 2% yep. is pretty small, 96 versus 98 and a half. So, yep. When, when we're early like this, it's not a big deal either. But, you know, if we're talking, we're getting into more towards Memorial Day, June, and you, you have to go with a shorter maturity hybrid. Um, a lot of times that yep. can that can ding your yield also. Well, and that, that's a good point. You start getting into the last half of May, and that's when your plant stand window becomes very wide, right? Yeah, especially yep. if you get into the first of June, then you're looking at, okay, if I got uh, a stand of corn that I planted end of April 
but we've only got 22, 24, 26,000 plants per acre out there. Uh, the data, the science would tell us, you know, chances are you're better leaving that than going back out there and replanting. Um, that's a, that's a big window and that's gut wrenching to look at a field that's, that's 26,000 plants per acre. But, uh, at some point we got to trust the science, right? Trust the data. Unless it's from Iowa state. No, you should, you should trust everything (laughs) from Iowa. I would definitely be leery on anything on the East side of the river. So, okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, all right. I think we got time to cover one more quick question. I think most guys, uh, in our geography are probably going to scratch your head a little bit and be like, what, uh, what the heck are these two talking about? But, um, we have some areas, especially in our North, uh, and West geography in South Dakota and Minnesota, uh, that have been dry, missed some of these rains that have recently come through. Um, so it's just kind of a real quick, you know, do I need to do anything differently when we're planting into dry conditions? So, uh, I'll, I'll kick this off and you can add anything you want, uh, Ryan, because, uh, I feel like this is one I've been dealing with for, I don't know how many years in a row. Uh, drought seems to follow me everywhere I go. Um, <laughs> but, but a lot of times, uh, when we get in this situation, it, it kind of comes down to, you know, make sure you check your planting depth and check where that moisture line is. And I, I have encouraged guys, you know, don't be afraid to plant at three or maybe even over a little over three inches deep, if that's where the moisture is. Um, because if, if we're putting seeds in dry dirt, that, that doesn't do us any good. They're not going to germinate. They're just going to sit there and, and wait for a rain or wait for some moisture to come up. Uh, and a lot of times, um, especially with the newer planters where we have, you know, more control over downforce pressure, uh, that we can put, uh, take that downforce pressure up. Uh, because a lot of times what can happen is the, uh, that furrow can actually close up before that, that seed hits the bottom of the trench. And then you can get, um, non-uniform seeding depth. So it can actually kind of bounce up and down a little bit and get some seeds on top. You can get some seeds deep. Uh, but keep in mind, if you don't have moisture out there, you're, you're not going to cause sidewall compaction by taking your, uh, down pressure higher than you normally do. Uh, so you need to do whatever you can to keep that seed trench open and, and get that seed down into moisture so it can actually, uh, imbibe and, and, and germinate. So couple other tips around planar settings when you're in extremely dry soil. Make sure your gauge wheels, your depth wheels are tight against those disc openers because you can actually flop dry soil down into that trench before it gets closed. And obviously dry soil, um, if you're short on moisture anyway, is going to suck it up and not be good for germination. Um, one other thing, too, uh, that I've read is the spike closing wheels don't work real great when you get into super dry conventional tilled uh, ground. If you still have your rubber wheels, if you're dealing with super dry, you might want to throw them back on. They do a little better job of uh, closing up an extremely dry soil. Uh, one other trick I know a couple guys did, uh, you do run this gets a little riskier but you can set your row cleaners a little more aggressive and try and move some of them dry clods and dry residue out of the way sometimes you can get into uh, uh, some moisture that way but a big rain you could run the risk of you know it could uh, wash a lot of soil back in that that furrow and then you're too deep all of a sudden but if you're lucky enough to 
to have smart firmers on your planter. They're a great tool also to use um, when you're, you're messing with dry soil. Make sure you're watching those as you change soil types. If you have varying soil types in your field and you're, you're in moisture and all the soil types. That, that's a good point on the row cleaners. I have seen that work well for guys when we're, when we're fighting to find moisture, but uh, yeah, there is always that risk. If you get a, you get a big downpour and we're washing a bunch of soil back in over top of that trench, yep. but I, I have seen that work well, Ryan. So in, in past experience too, uh, when I worked in different areas that, you know, were irrigated sandier soil, dealing with uh, real dry conditions is you want to be really careful with your starter if you're putting it in the furrow. If you're running like a furrow jet, you might turn off the in furrow um, because salt burn injury can be increased greatly there too and just run run it on the wings of your furrow jet. Something else to think yep. about. Yep, because you don't have any water to help dilute that out a little bit. can yep. run into some of those salt injury issues. Well, I think with that, Ryan, that's uh, that's a wrap on this episode. Uh, but I want to remind everyone, you know, keep sending us your feedback, uh, send us your questions. You can reach out to us at agronomy at wiffles.com. Uh, we want to talk about the things you guys want us to talk about. So uh, stay safe out there and thanks for listening today. Thank you guys.